are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers. Brought to you by Cooler Partners, a digital marketing agency made for manufacturers. I'm your co-host, Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? All is well, good sir, and um, good to be chatting today. Indeed. And yeah. uh, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm really, I think we've got a great episode uh, lined up today. Um, almost like, a, who was the, which is the talk show host that says that tonight show is like the best ever? And he says, You're asking night. the wrong guy. Uh, my, my knowledge of late night is escaping me right now. But <laughs> nevertheless, um, I think we're just going to be able to look at a digital transformation that's underway from like kind of three or four different angles today. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of excited about that. Yeah, um, why don't you introduce today's guest? Sure. So joining us today on The Cooler Ring is Michael Blake, who is the Director of Marketing at KM International. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Michael, it's a pleasure to be chatting. And uh, uh, I want to... I kind of, as we talked about the digital transformations kind of unfolding at uh, KM International, we kind of we kind of talked about it through the lens almost of like three pillars, if you will. There was that notion of 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 how do you market and sell to what you're seeing as a new type of buyer, a new generation of buyer. Um, there's the side of it of really getting serious about what you're doing on content perspective. I think there's some element around video uh, to that for you folks, but I'm sure it's broader than that as well. And just how you go about um, uh, producing different content for your very different target audiences. And um, and then the e-commerce strategy that's underway. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of start down through that list. But before we kind of get fully underway why don't you tell us a little bit more about km international and 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 your work there yeah km international we're a uh, asphalt maintenance equipment manufacturer up in north branch michigan uh, we've been in business for going on 35 years now we've uh, we've always prided ourselves on the the quality and the more importantly the longevity of our equipment um and we've, uh, like I said, we've been in business for 35 years, so we've we've gained a lot of experience and knowledge over that 35 years that we're we're always happy to share with our customers, along with the uh, you know the equipment that we sell. And Michael, how long have you been with the firm? I've been with Cam International for going on five years now. Um, I have a uh, I graduated five years ago with a bachelor's degree in marketing and have been and have been with the company ever since. Um, I'm the director of marketing, which obviously includes uh, quite a bit of different stuff, but uh, mostly I'm part of the content creation, a lot of the advertising, um, as well as like the pricing structures and um, everything that goes along with those responsibilities. Very cool. Well, look, uh, let's um, let's kind of start into the first layer of uh, of this the 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 notion of having to realign your marketing and sales effort towards a new type of buyer. So what are you seeing? So we're seeing a, a uh, I guess it's almost an age shift. Um, the the asphalt maintenance or pavement maintenance industry as a whole is a relatively niche industry where it's not. Um, you know, it's not huge. There's not a million different companies out there doing it. So, um, you know, I consider myself um, a second generation, if you will, in the market. 
Um, and a lot of the first generation, you know, started companies, paving companies, seal coating companies in the, you know, the late 70s, early 80s are coming, uh, you know, to their career life cycle where they're retiring and either selling the business or passing down the business to a younger generation. So um, with that younger generation, um, obviously becomes a lot more uh, digital, digitally native where they're doing a majority of their research online rather than, you know, picking up a, a physical magazine or catalog. So we've, we've started to do a fundamental shift where we're not heavy into the print advertisements or the physical catalogs anymore. And we're starting to shift a lot of those um, brochures and content to digital forms. Has it changed how you've had to sell to these folks too? I mean, um, have you found things like propensity to actually take a face-to-face meeting, things of that nature? Just how, how has that changed? Um, partially, um, a lot of, um, back, you know, back before my time in the industry, um, it was easy to call up a a contractor and say, Hey, I'm going to be in your area. I'd love to stop by and just kind of show you the equipment, um, show you what it does, what we have to offer. Whereas now it's more of a, Hey, can you send me more information via email or can you send me an online video? Um, So that's why we've, we've, put a lot of money and effort into creating educational videos, not just for, you know, our specific equipment, but the processes that our equipment support or promote. I mean, you can just imagine a millennial receiving a call saying, hey, I'm in town down the street. Can I come and meet with you? Speaking as a uh, so-called millennial, um, I-, I can say firsthand that that is just not a... Um, in, in my experience, a, a great sales tactic anymore, um, not to discount anybody that's still doing that. But, you know, I enjoy doing my research and kind of looking into a company before I accept a face-to-face meeting or, you know, they just show up out of the blue. Yeah, it seems that quite a step with um, with a world where things are coordinated. And let me just, yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's just a, it, it seems, yeah, it, it, you don't even need to talk about it too much. It just feels weird to think about. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think one of the things that you you had mentioned in uh, one of our pre conversations as well was that you're even noticing just a broader shift in the in the general age range of people even at trade shows so you know even if uh, you're not willing to take a personal meeting certainly people are going to trade shows to check out the equipment as well eh? yep and um obviously being a a, you know a smaller industry the trade shows do still hold a lot of value um just as both networking opportunities and then like you mentioned to you know physically see the equipment up close but um it, it does lend itself to some advantages for the uh for the manufacturers and the resellers because a lot of these um a lot of the younger generation they're not as um I guess, restrictive to spend money. Um, we've, we've definitely increased our, our, our ROI at a lot of the recent trade shows just because we've, we've taken orders off of the floor where, you know, seeing the equipment in person is kind of the final step of the buying process. They've already done their homework online. They've already, you know, maybe got a quote or two from a couple of different resellers. And now they're, you know, at their final buying decision, whereas kind of the older generation, that was maybe a, you know, initial 
purchase decision, initial purchase decision where, you know, they're just being introduced to the equipment at the trade show and then they kind of follow a uh, reverse cycle. I've not heard anybody talk about trade shows in exactly this way. No, not uh, once. Um, uh, where they're, they're noting a, a shift um, in, in just kind of where people are at when they engage with you at yeah. the trade show in terms of where they're at in the buying cycle. That's really interesting to me. Have, have you like had to realign your trade presence to connect with that? Things like... I don't know, places for salespeople to maybe sit down and have more intimate conversations with folks as part of the trade display, or I, I, I put, want to put words in your mouth, but how have you had to change to, to kind of meet that? No, definitely. And we've actually started bringing um, like inventory to trade shows because we know from our past experience over the last four or five years, people are going to take equipment from the trade show. Uh, it's just, it's something that we've, we've seen, um, you know, we usually send a full truckload of, of stuff down there. And even though if we don't necessarily necessarily display it all on the trade show floor, um, we want if somebody wants to take something off the trade show floor, we want to definitely make sure that we have it there for them. Um, like I said, a lot of these these younger generations are or younger generation people are coming to the trade show with the intent on buying, you know, they're, they're at the, the end of the cycle. And, you know, the last step is, Hey, I'm going to talk to this guy, you know, the, one of the sales reps reconfirm what I already know or what I already feel. And, you know, I'm going to make the purchase. I think that's really interesting. And, and I don't want to put you on the spot here because we haven't necessarily talked about this particular subject before, but how much visibility do you have into the people who are coming to the shows that may want to make a purchase at the show? ahead of time like do you have any sense of the people who are doing the research perhaps downloading material off your site or or is it just like kind of a consistent number but not necessarily people that who are in your world yet? Like almost can you call the shot do you yeah. know that, that leads coming yeah and, and a lot of the time it we we will be aware of who's going to be down there um you know whether it's a email with like you know just saying hey you know saw you guys are going to be at the trade show this year love to meet up with you and talk about a hot box for say, or, you know, a different piece of equipment that we might have to offer, or even a phone call saying, Hey, you know, you guys going to be down there this year. Uh, what do you bring in? I might be interested in purchasing this. Um, can you have one down there type thing. So they're not only, you know, pre confirming that we're going to be down there and have a, have a presence, but they're confirming that, Hey, you guys are going to have equipment down there, right? Because we're, we're interested to the point where we will take it off the trade show floor if the price is right and everything like that. So we've even, um, you know, regarding the pricing structure, we used to give a, uh, you know, a, a post-show discount just kind of for a couple of weeks or move it out to a month. And we've even kind of shied away from that because um, we feel that we don't need to at this point. It's the, the generated interest pre and post-show, I think, is... Uh, is enough where we don't have to necessarily discount our equipment to to sell it that way. That's fascinating. Hmm. Um, obviously, I mean, you know, you have two different types of buyers. You have these kind of target customers that are, you know, um, paving companies and perhaps second generation uh, moving into those, as you were mentioning. But you have other buyers as well, more in municipal and, and government organizations. My guess is they're operating a little bit differently. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Um what we've found over our, you know, our 35 years in business is 
we segregate our our markets into two two main markets, as you mentioned. Um, one is like the contractors, the commercial workers, and then the second is the uh, the municipalities. A lot of the time, um, I always start by you know if I'm training a new sales guy or or just kind of speaking about the market in general. The commercial contractors, and I think this is the same in any type of construction industry, their main goal is to to make money, make a profit, to make revenue, decrease expenses. Um, whereas, you know, because they don't they don't have a set budget at the end or at the beginning of the year, you know, what they buy is going to be dependent on how much they make that year or how you know how they can decrease their their expenses, therefore increasing their profit. Whereas the municipality. Um, municipal market, they're more in the lines of how is this type of equipment or this type of process going to save me money? Because, you know, at the end of the, or at the beginning of the year, you know, the budgets come out and say, this is how much you're going to have to spend this year. Use your money to the best of your ability. Um, So as a marketer and as a sales team in, in general, we find ourselves speaking a little bit differently, creating different content to appease and to promote both of these markets rather than just trying to, you know, hone in on one while we're segregating the other. Can you give us a sense of a type of content or a piece of content that works really well in one that doesn't in the other, or just a little bit of compare and contrast? Yeah. um, I mean, the municipal market, they are, they like to read, um, not and not to say that the contractors don't, but I have found that maybe like an ebook or you know a published article in a magazine maybe resonates a little bit better with them. Where the contractors, they're more uh, visual, as I've as I've found. So you know the videos, kind of the the pictures, they do still like to see that on site demo. Um, so they're more, you know, hands-on. They want to see it. They want to see how it works, whether it's in person or through a video. Whereas the municipals, they'll um, obviously the municipal buying cycle is a little bit longer, so they have a little bit more time to do their research. So they'll, you know, they'll download an ebook or they'll, um, you know, email us back and forth for a couple months, just asking different questions to get a little bit more information. So the buying cycles are definitely a little bit different, which I think allows them to do their research and pre-planning a little bit differently as well. Most manufacturers are converting barely any of their existing website visitors into leads. If you want to get better than your competition at finding good prospects online, Start by watching our webinar, How to Manufacture Better Content. This webinar from Coolering host Jeff White will teach you how to produce manufacturing-focused content that works. Watch it now at bit.ly slash hmbcwebinar. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash hmbcwebinar. Like, uh, my guess is, is that obviously... Uh... Uh, most of the e-commerce is probably targeted on the uh, commercial side and not on the government side of the business, but again, I don't want to assume. But take take me through what you've been doing with e-com to date, uh, kind of what that journey's been so far, and um, and and kind of how it's working, and maybe we'll start to see what's next here. Yeah, so we've we've recently created a it's a, it's a small um, e-commerce. It's a plug into our current site, but it's a small product offering, but it's kind of just to test the markets a little bit. We started with um, our parts, uh, some of the more common change parts, and um, we've we've seen 
phenomenal, better than expected results with it so far. And um, so far, what we have found is, as you mentioned, it is a little bit more contractor focused than the municipal focus. But I'd say right now, our, our customer base for the e-commerce platform is probably about, um, I don't know, 60, 40 in favor of the contractor. So the gap isn't as big as um, you would think or even I initially expected. It makes sense to me in some ways as we think about it, because of course, um, you know, the, the online ordering, particularly of those types of consumables, gives you a level of online tracking and things of that nature. You can be able to track your expenditures, lots of things that would be appealing to yeah. both sides of that, uh, of the, of the and municipalities um, still need parts. Yeah. So why not? I mean, it, it's a faster, easier way to get it than, you know, a phone or well, the, uh, email the, the procurement side of things has already been decided then because you've, the, yeah. You know, the part goes for what you had already. So, so if there is yeah. a, a more extensive RFP type of procurement, that's already happened. But I do notice that there's like $10,000 pieces of gear on the site too. It's not just all consumables. Yep. And, um, and we've kind of, it's funny you mentioned that because our, our cutoff is about $10,000. Um, from the research that I've done and kind of some of the other um, industry professionals that I've talked to, I don't see right now, um, anybody going online and punching in their credit card for anything over, you know, eleven, twelve thousand dollars. It's there's a certain level of service and commitment that you want with that type of purchase that I don't necessarily think an e-commerce platform can give a customer yet. Not to say that that's not in the future. Um, you know, there's a lot of like Carvana, for example, they're selling cars online. And, you know, people are literally paying with them, maybe not by credit card, but via, you know, financing or whatever you may have it. So it's I think there is a shift coming up where that number is going to start increasing. But for right now, I think that's kind of people's comfort level for an online purchase. Yeah, I mean, not to be too Canadian, but it is interesting to think, uh, get a little Wayne Gretzky on this and try to think about getting going, right? Yeah. Um, especially when you think about uh, Carvana and others, um, we built a similar platform to that actually here in Canada for a uh, uh, auto brand. That um, it, you know, it was frankly fast. It was fantastic to see when you go and build this e-com site to sell cars, and you start to see this the, the transactions roll in. <laughs> um, and that is so that shift is afoot uh, on the consumer side. Um, I'm just saying, so it's interesting to consider how it will impact uh, B2B uh, buying uh, in, in five, 10 years. And of course, even three to five years, maybe. And if we're talking about three to five years, then how fast do you need to start to act now so that you're ready for then? Oh, no. Yeah, definitely. We've, we've as a, you know, internal management team, we've already, you know, taken the necessary steps to be prepared for, for it when it does come. Um, we definitely, we like to think of ourselves as forward thinkers and try to pre-plan, um, you know, based on the market shifts and, and where we think our customers are going. And we've, we've actually, um, we do have an online partner, if you will, that does sell our full product offering, um, <clears throat> you know, everything from as small as like the parts and the, you know, the small like consumables all the way up to some of our larger equipment that's, 
you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. So we've already kind of implemented that, um, and we're just waiting to see how that plays out. It's more of a test phase right now, more than anything. But I, I think, you know, like you said, within the next three to five years, I think there will definitely be a fundamental shift in the way that people are um, buying equipment as well as consumables online. I'm curious, is that been, um, so is that some sort of like a, a, a separate online distributor that you're piloting that with? Yep. We, um, we were approached by a company who, um, he, he sells like seal coat tanks and small brooms and, you know, a lot of consumable products, but he, <coughs> excuse me, did have some equipment on there already. Um, so he approached us and said, <coughs> excuse me, I don't know how successful I'll be, but I'd like to get some of your equipment listed on our site. And so, um, being the thinkers that we were, we said, you know what, what do we have to lose? So we, we have seen some success with that so far. Very cool. Very cool. I think that's a, that's an interesting kind of two pronged approach here. One is uh, obviously getting your feet wet, doing it directly, uh, on the KM site and then, uh, seeing what kind of volume you can drive from, uh, from that, uh, your other online partner as well. I think that'll be a, a, a give you a, kind of an, a really, a, a, I guess, interesting foundation from which to grow. And on top of that, too, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if any of your other distributors want to step up and do a similar kind of platform, and and what results that begins to for them. I mean, I, I have to wonder, you know, for equipment manufacturers, how. Um, how many of the distributors are going to start to uh, develop their own e-com platforms? You know, it certainly doesn't seem particularly uh, common yet, but uh, I'm sure it's coming. No, and we've we we have um, we have about 15 different physical distributors covering. I think it, we're up to like 35 or 34 states. Um, <clears throat> so we've we've found it difficult that. Uh, you know, the e-commerce along with the physical locations have kind of clashed. But, you know, as a company and with our distributor network, we're kind of working through that to see what's the best, you know, how are we going to compensate a distributor if a piece of equipment is sold in their territory Um, or things along that line where, you know, the physical distributor, they're there, they have a brick and mortar store, they have, you know, more overhead expenses that they need to account for. Um, I think right now, a lot of people buying our type of equipment are still, they still value that, that physical relationship and, you know, they have a physical presence that they can go to or call. But I think um, we're trying to prepare for the future where, and we're urging our distributors to as well, to um, have, you know, even right now, just a, a minimum online presence and continue to grow that as the years, uh, as the years go by. Yeah, man, I think you're getting really to the heart of the tension there in this. Uh, and I've saw that uh, I spoke at a conference in April to a group of distributors and, uh, you could just, um, uh, you know, and they, they were all kind of all in on e-com at least in some way, shape or form. Um, uh, but you could tell that they really felt like they were behind the eight ball um, and that they were at threat of their manufacturing partners just going direct if they didn't up their game. 
Um, so I, you know, I don't know. If there's a whole lot to say about that, other than that's just that, it, like, that, that that's just the state of affairs right now. And I think that that um, if you're a dis- if marketer are working on the distribution side, um, I think it's important to get busy really fast with your digital transformation. Get because, busy living, as yeah, it were. Yeah. Because the the barriers between manufacturers and the end buyer, uh, you know, have come down. We encourage all of our distributors to. You know, it's not a, it's not so much a clashing point. Um, they understand that there, you know, there is a transformation coming, and and we as a manuf- as the manufacturer, you know, as a national presence, we want to support our distribution network. You know, they're they're boots on the ground. They're they're the ones out there selling, making the face to face contact, representing us and our equipment. So we want to make sure, obviously, that we keep them happy, keep them educated, keep them motivated to sell. But then they, you know, likewise also have to understand that this new generation coming up there, they want to take down any sales barriers that there may be. Um, you know, they, they, they might be the generation to go online and put in their credit card and spend, you know, fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000. So we need to be, you know, as a manufacturer, as well as our distributors, we need to be prepared for that, uh, you know, if and when that day does come. And Michael, I think that uh, you said it really concisely there. I, I really, I wonder, just as we kind of come to the end of uh, today's show, if you could, uh, if there are anything, if there's anything as you're kind of looking ahead over the next uh, 12 to 24 months that has you particularly excited that we haven't talked about yet. Um, well, actually, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I just got back from a conference yesterday and uh, the main topic was actually video, uh, like programmatic programmatic video and uh, video content. And I think, um, again, speaking as, a, as part of the younger generation, I, I really think that that's where things are going. Um, you know, although I love the content aspect of, of marketing, um, I personally like sitting down and reading an article or something like that. I think a lot of people um, are uh, unaware of the the impacts and the benefits that video marketing has. And I'm, I'm really excited with some of the things that we're doing to, uh, you know, help cater to our audience with our videos. You know, like I said before, they're not just necessarily promotional videos. We want, you know, educational videos, informative videos that the customers or potential customers are going to find value in. Obviously, you're just at the front end of this uh, as well, and you mentioned a number of different types of video. Do you have a sense or a, you know a, an inference as to which of those kinds of videos will play best in a programmatic type environment? Um, in my personal opinion, I, I think the educational videos are going to be where the future is going to take us. Um, you know you hop on YouTube or you click on an ad on Facebook and watch a video, you don't necessarily want to be bombarded with, you know, here's my product. Here's what it does. Here's how much it can save you. You know, you don't want to, you don't want all that sales literature. You can get online and find that. Or if you're interested, you want, you know, you want a manufacturer or a company to offer a solution to a problem that you have. So, in my personal opinion, I think that the educational aspect of the video marketing moving forward is going to be um, really relevant and it's going to separate some of, you know, 
some of the successful companies from some of the companies that maybe aren't so successful moving forward. I think you're probably right. It makes a lot more sense to uh, to always be helping in those cases as to as opposed to always being always be selling, <laughs> always be helping, always be selling. You know, always be closing. So I think that's a fair point, and um, you know, and it's not always. I think it also takes a bit of courage on the on the part of the brand to say that they're that they're just going to invest in educational content versus something that maybe seems to be a bit more of a direct path to a sale, like mm. something that seems more promotional in nature. Um, uh, so uh, I, I think the ones that choose to do that will see the benefit for sure. Yeah. Michael, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today. It's uh, it's been a real pleasure to get to know more about uh, your work with KM. No, I appreciate you guys having me on, and it uh, was a good time. Awesome. Thanks very much. All the best now. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolerring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.